It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. We're continuing our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know it feels like it's been many, many weeks that we've been in the study of not only the body of Christ, but the spiritual gifts that God has given to us by way of the Holy Spirit to do the predetermined works that he has called us to. And so we've spent a number of weeks in this, and rightfully so, because we're really still getting into this preparatory mindset uh, that will lead to the study of agape love. And then as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we have even more to cover on the subject of spiritual gifts, especially uh, the subject of tongues. And tongues has been a divisive subject in churches for many years, and and so I really want to spend a great deal of time in going in and through the biblical texts so that we have a good baseline for that discussion. I I certainly don't want to be a a man of many opinions and just giving you my opinions, but rather spending time in the Word. That's why this is Engage in Truth, after all. And as an expository church, that's what we we do. We go through the Bible verse by verse, and, and really to lay that groundwork, that foundation, so that we, the saints, have this firm foundation, deep roots in the storms that, that can carry us through. We need a, a foundation on solid rock, uh, not built on the sand. Uh, and, and then ultimately, as we're tossed about by the waves of false doctrine out in the culture, we don't want that. We need to be solid, firm, knowledgeable in God's Word. It is our sword. God has equipped us with this the, the, the tools that we need to be successful, if you will, in, in uh, fighting these the, the good fight and, and being prepared prepared for that which lies ahead. Uh, So we uh, need to be prepared as the body of Christ, and that's why we spend the time that we do here on Engage in Truth. So uh, again, I want to thank you for tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, We spent a great deal of time, verses 14 to 26 last week. If you missed that, go back to calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. There you're going to find all of the archives of radio programs as well as the uh, video of what we're teaching on Sundays. Right now in our Sunday services, we're in the book of Matthew, and here on the radio program, we're in 1 Corinthians. So if this has piqued your curiosity of what you're going to hear today, maybe this is your first time tuning in, uh, you're not going to miss out. Just simply go to calvaryfountain.com. There's a button there that says audio and video. Click on that. You can get equipped and share that content with your friends and family. So let's jump right into this. Verses 27 to 31 is what we have to pick up here today of celebrating the diversity of the body. We spent this time last week, verses 14 to 26, really even assessing how Paul, uh, in a humorous fashion, uh, even uh, tries to illustrate how certain parts of the body are competing with others, maybe feeling insignificant, don't have the value of other body parts, and we know that to not be true. Every part of the body is valuable. Uh, we, We are not just one giant eye or one giant ear. No, the body of Christ is made up of every part pre-appointed by Jesus Christ and every part needed. Even the one 
ones that aren't as visible as the others, all of great value, equipped by the Holy Spirit to do the work that he has called us to do. So now we're taking the, the uh, another focus here of these body parts of celebrating the diversity in the body as highlighted here, verses 27 to 31. So Paul takes the analogy of the physical body and he applies it practically in terms of gifting and how ministry is to be expressed. Let's read verses 27 to 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's what we read. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. So Paul lists eight kinds of members with special functions. We will briefly discuss these definitions, I believe, for each of these. And, and again, this is not an exhaustive list. We've now seen two different lists that have been conveyed to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul will do this again elsewhere throughout his epistles and certainly covers a great deal of content even on tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. So this is not an exhaustive list, and it's certainly not a list created to create a hierarchy uh, that uh, causes division within the church. Well, I'm not that particular role, therefore I'm not important, or uh, creating angst is somehow that, uh, that my gifts are not as important as those gifts. That's not what is outlined here. So let me just uh, start off, though, where he highlights first apostles. Now, this is my opinion. I need to just clarify this, and I'm going to use Scripture to support this. I'm I, I, it's not eisegesis, though, rather. This is exegesis, but let me just give you an opinion here. I don't believe anyone should carry the title of apostle today, okay? I believe this title follows a strict pattern that is demonstrated by Christ Jesus' words in Matthew 23, 8-10 in his response to those who seek a title or even a position before men. Okay, listen to this. Matthew 23, 8-10. Here's what we read. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers... For one is your teacher, the Christ, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So it's evident that there are roles and assignments in the church for equipping the saints. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, we read, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So because Paul cites apostleship here in the midst of a, of a section addressing spiritual gifts, there are some who assume that this must be a reference to a role or gift that is manifested by the Holy Spirit through individuals in the church today. Now, I believe John MacArthur did a fantastic job in outlining very carefully the process for the definition of an apostle according to the scriptures. And I'm going to summarize some of that for you here today. So an apostle, it means one sent on a mission. And that's why many will use that title today. That sounds very fitting for those who are on a mission, right? Like a missionary, an apostle, one sent on a mission. It's one whom God has sent on an errand with a mission, 
Okay, so an apostle is accountable to his sender, and it carries the authority of the sender. An apostleship is the office an apostle holds. So Jesus Christ himself has an apostleship. He wears apostle as a title, as one of his descriptive titles, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. And he has sent to, he himself was sent to earth by the heavenly father with God's authoritative message, which he faithfully delivered, according to John 17, 1 to 5. So while Jesus was here on earth, he personally selected from many of his followers, 12 men, and he gave them an apostleship. So this special responsibility to receive and spread his message after he returned to heaven, this is the mantle that came upon them. And we see that in John 17, 6 to 20, Matthew 10, 1 to 4, and Mark 3, 14 to 15. So these chosen and sent ones were his apostles. Now, during the time of Jesus, he was training them. He did not explain the criteria that he used to choose them. That was for him to decide. But he was training them personally. And one of the 12 was Judas Iscariot, and he betrayed Jesus to his enemies. And in this agony of conscience that he had, uh, Judas then reacts and he hangs himself, according to Matthew 27, 5. We don't see a posture of repentance there, but rather this agony of guilt that he hangs himself. So when Jesus returned to heaven, he left behind only 11 apostles, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 26. And this is despite the fact that he sent out at least 70, some interpretations have it as 72, but 70, according to Luke. And and these individuals went out uh, with the discipleship uh, you know, responsibility and mission that was before them. And so we have these 70, including those 12. So it wasn't just the 12, but rather at least 82. But there, these 12 were specific. Now 11 of them are left behind. They're given the title, this apostleship, according to Acts one twenty six, And the church was built on their labors, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. So some days later, After Acts chapter 1, verse 26, we read that the remaining apostles were in Jerusalem praying with Jesus' mother, his brothers, and some believers. The group totaled about 120, according to Acts 1, 12 to 26. So Simon Peter then addressed the group and told them what was spoken in Psalm 69, 25, that he said this predicted Judas' betrayal. And and Psalm 109.8 predicted that this defector's place among the apostles should be filled. Okay, so he told them Psalm 69.25 and then said that Psalm 109.8 was that that role meant it had to be filled. So the apostleship had to fall on another. So Peter proposed choosing a new apostle and then set the qualifications. Not everyone could be considered for the apostleship. The candidates had to, number one, have been with Jesus during the whole three years that Jesus was among them. That is, he needed to be an eyewitness of Jesus' baptism when the Heavenly Father validated Jesus' person and work. He also needed to have heard Jesus' life-changing teachings and been present to see his healings and other miracles. He needed to have witnessed Jesus' sacrifice 
on the cross and to have walked with Jesus, talked with him, and ate among the other disciples again after the resurrection. So there were the pivotal facts of Jesus' life, the, the heart of the message, and they were to receive that message to teach it, to be personal witnesses, and this was required in order to verify that they had received the good news, verified the good news, and are now teaching that good news. So the prayer group in Jerusalem, when they nominated two individuals, they set forth these qualifications for apostleship, and Joseph Barsabbas and Matthias were the two that were nominated. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he became the 12th apostle. Though there were many with them, they were numbering 120, and we saw the 70 had already gone out according to the Gospel of Luke. So despite all of that, he became the 12th apostle by this nomination. So on repeated occasions, the apostles gave witness of their personal observations of Jesus and made statements to that effect. In, in Acts chapter 10, verse 39 to 40, we read, We are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. They testified to this. So the Holy Spirit would also allow the true apostles to perform signs and wonders and mighty works to validate their message and their testimony, according to 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Now something else happens, something very interesting. Here it seems like the positions have been filled, 12 apostles. But months later, Saul, who's one of the Pharisees, was trying to stamp out this new cult, if you will, of Christianity that he seemed to think that it was by killing and jailing some of the followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that he had chosen Saul. Now here's what he says, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, as my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So following his conversion, Paul, previously Saul, spent some time in Arabia where he was taught by Christ, according to Galatians 1, 12 to 17. In total, he would spend three years in training, just as the other apostles did, under the direction and training of Jesus himself. So the other apostles recognized that Jesus himself had appointed their former enemy to be one of them. Peter even addresses Paul as a brother and as one of the apostles in 2 Peter chapter 3. So as Saul went into the Gentile territories, his name changed to the Greek Paul, which means small or humble. And Jesus, who gave Paul his apostleship, sent many messages through him to his churches and to unbelievers alike. So it was this apostle Paul who wrote over half of the books of the New Testament. So in two of his epistles, Paul identifies the office of apostle as the first that Jesus appointed to serve his churches, as we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and in Ephesians chapter 4. So clearly, the work of the apostleship was to lay the foundation of the church, in, in, a, in a sense secondary only to that of Christ himself and what he established. They were the next 
uh, agents, if you will, that Jesus had appointed, servants, to go and establish, build up, and plant churches far and wide. And we see this from Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 20, and it's this required eyewitness authority behind their preaching. It wasn't a title for the sake of title, okay? They had to be verified, authenticated, their testimony was assured, okay? Because they had been with Jesus, seen Jesus, taught by Jesus, they could now communicate that truth to spread this truth far and wide to build these churches in the church age, in the the birth of the church, if you will. So while Paul never claimed to be included among the original 12, believers recognized that Jesus appointed him as his special apostle to the Gentiles. Again, Galatians 1, 1 Corinthians 9, Acts 26. Those are your sources. Go check those out. So Paul referenced that he was an apostle because he had seen the Lord Jesus in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 1. You can also read 2 Corinthians 11 on that. So, And he was specifically doing the work that Jesus had commanded him to do. Jesus himself had commanded him to do that, to do this. So other apostles, this is where it gets a little confusing, because in the scripture we're told about other apostles, and we see this in Acts chapter 14, Romans 16, 1 Thessalonians 2, even later in our study here, 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read that later about this, but only in a sense that they were appointed authorized and sent by churches established by the apostles that Jesus appointed. They were sent out on special assignments, if you will. So in a way, they acted as representatives of the 12, now 13, apostles in their work. So these individuals bore the title apostle with a lowercase a, if you will, in a limited sense and did not possess all the qualifications of apostleship that the original 12 and Paul had. So when the Bible was being compiled, it was critical that every author had credibility from other sources. This is why we can trust the Bible. It's a book of accountability. It teaches accountability. It demonstrates accountability. And other sources, even non-biblical texts, testify to it. So this is a critical point to remember when we examine 1 Corinthians 14, talking about both prophecy and tongues. So anything said must have accountability. God brought order out of chaos. The apostles were always able to cite their roles and appointments. They did not self-appoint, okay? They did not self-appoint. That's a key factor here. There should be no attempt nor is there any place in the house of God for men to title grab. We are servants. That's our role. We are doulos, servants of the Most High. If you look to Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28 for a moment, uh, this is just something I, I I need to read to you. Okay, Matthew 20, 20 to 28. Here's what we read. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to him, this is Jesus, with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, for it is for those 
for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So no biblical evidence exists to indicate that these 13 apostles were replaced when they died. Jesus appointed the apostles to do the founding work of the church, and foundations only need to be laid once. After the apostles' death, other offices besides apostleship, not requiring eyewitness relationships with Jesus Christ in the flesh, would carry on the work. And that's why Paul lists out the others. He highlights prophets, well, let's see, in the modern context of this, and as we understand the word prophet in this, it wasn't always about foretelling of future events, okay? It was about forthtelling, okay? It's the ability to receive and proclaim a message from God. Its primary purpose, as we'll read later in 1 Corinthians 14.3, is about telling the truth. This, this gift provides a word from God to a specific group or individual, not the normative word of God to all believers. So again, we, we start our discussion on prophecy and tongues here in the next few weeks, and so we'll get into that a great deal about the difference of foretelling future events from that of foretelling and understanding the word that is needed for individuals at certain times. I don't know if you've ever had that, but individuals who are deeply mature in their faith, their prayer life is strong, they're in the word of God, how they can give you the right word at the right time. Sometimes a word of encouragement, sometimes a word of admonishment, sometimes we, we need to be convicted. We really all need that on a daily basis. The prophets are often ones whom God has appointed to even uh, stand in the gap to even be confrontational at times. They seem to be comfortable in that. Although Jeremiah didn't like the job, he did it because of that burning fire in him to be obedient to Almighty God, as we see Jeremiah chapter 20. So uh, teachers, he highlights teachers, and that's the ability to clearly explain and effectively apply the truths of God's Word so that others will learn. And this requires the capacity to accurately interpret Scripture, engage in necessary research, and organize the results in a way that is easily communicated. I know that it it feels like I spent probably 27 to 28 hours the last that I had checked on that per message. It requires that faithfulness to read, to study the Greek, the Hebrew, the commentaries, the lexicons have to be right at your fingertips to be able to help people understand and to go deeper into God's Word with these sometimes difficult words of truth. Now, we need more context to understand it and to apply it faithfully in our lives. So a degree doesn't make a teacher. There are talents and there are gifts. God qualifies and equips just as he did with Peter and John, as you might remember in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, I love that. That's the only qualifier that they needed. They had been with Jesus. Now, he also highlights miracles and gifts of healing. 
And that's the ability to serve as an instrument through whom God accomplishes acts that manifest supernatural power. Okay, let me uh, dig deeper into that. Okay, miracles bear witness to the presence of God and the truth of his proclaimed word and appear to occur most frequently in association with missionary activity. Now, at first glance, these seem like they should be done with the same as perhaps miracles and healings as we just covered earlier in verses 8 to 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So the reason why Paul broke these out separately is because the word for miracle here is like we read earlier in verse 10. It's dunamis, which means to show ability, which is power, and that's enabled by God. It's to be empowered. This is not the word that's used to describe signs and wonders specifically. So the gift of healings would fall into a category of great faith that God uses to perform a specific work. So again, we'll go back to to some of that uh, here later on as we go back and recap from verses 8 to 10. But in the short time that we have here today, uh, I just want to just highlight for you that he also talks about gifts of helps. We just read that earlier. This is the ability to enhance the effectiveness of the ministry of other members of the body. We all need people who have the gift of helps around us. This is the only usage of this word, and it appears to be distinct from the gift of service, as we read in Romans chapter 12. So some suggest that while the gift of service is more group-oriented, the gift of helps is more person-oriented, perhaps on a one-on-one basis, that there is a unique gift for that. There's also gift of administration. Uh, This word, like helps, it appears only one time in the New Testament, and it's used outside of Scripture of a uh, helmsman, if you will, of someone who steers the ship to its destination. So this suggests that the spiritual gift of administration is the ability to steer a church or or Christian organization, if you will, toward toward the the fulfillment of its goals by managing its affairs and implementing necessary plans. So a person may have the gift of leadership without the gift of administration, and you have to pair the two together. Some are visionaries, but you need the gift of administration to come alongside that person. Otherwise, it's lofty vision with no detail. Right? You need detail-oriented people, and that seems to be the gift of administration. So again, we could spend a lot more time on this. We are out of time today. The program goes by so fast. I would encourage you to go back and reread 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 to 10, and you'll see there the other nine gifts that are highlighted. Again, none of these exhaustive. If you go to Romans 12, 5 to 8, you'll see another list there. They're also listed in Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4. So we've got these several lists that are put together, but no Christian is without a special supernatural gift from God. If you have the Holy Spirit as I have, then you have the same Holy Spirit that was in those apostles, in the faithful servants of God, the same who spoke through the prophets, the same Holy Spirit. And so he's equipped the church with exactly the tools it needs to praise God and serve God faithfully with. You matter. And you being the Ark of the Covenant on two legs, you matter to the body of Christ. If you need encouragement, if you want to learn more about this, we've got a lot more to cover, of course, coming up in our broadcast. But I would encourage you to reach out to us at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. Our website is calvaryfountain.com, calvaryfountain.com. Services are on Sundays. We even have some services on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. But on Sunday... 
8 a.m. and 10 a.m. We would love to see you there and worship with you. Again, learn more at calvaryfountain.com. God bless you, my friends. Take care.